Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy show, building sustainable careers in professional sports today, empowering the next generation of leaders by equipping them with a detailed blueprint to success while using sports as our catalyst. Today, we got an inside look on the strategy and team building at MLB's Pittsburgh Pirates with the VP of People and Strategy, Gnarly Russo Long. Welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. Oh, man, we're excited to have you. You know, it's the first time, I think, getting into the, the baseball front office world, whether it's like, you know, from the VP and strategy side, just understanding the the back end, the, I would say the supply chain aspect of professional sports, because you're putting together the strategy, you're bringing the different dynamic uh, personalities together to work and then produce something on the field. So thank you for joining us. Of course. So jumping into it a little bit, man, you've had a dynamic career working in different industries, such as acting, pharmacy. <laughs> And now professional sports is the VP of uh, people and strategy for the Pirates. What do you think the main ingredient to success is from being able to jump through those different careers, both on and off the field from being at the Pirates? That's actually a very good question. And I don't know if I have one, um, but like if I had to pick one, I would say confidence absolutely has to be the one thing to focus on, you know? And, uh, and I view confidence as the ability to accept and trust yourself, right? And oftentimes we confuse confidence with competence and we think that because we're not competent on a specific field yet, we won't be able to do it instead of realizing that we have to have confidence in our ability to figure it out and actually get it done. And so I think if it's anything, confidence is the key to success. I love that. I think that's a great answer. And just even coming from like a sports, uh, like a sports personality, just background or just sports psych background in the sense of like efficacy, right? Like someone's self-efficacy of what they can achieve, like that level of just building that in with the confidence because it's right. You see sometimes when I think, I think you hit on a great point where you identify confidence is something to be able to you can achieve certain things even if you're not there but the ability to believe in yourself to get there because sometimes when people just think oh they hear it oh it's just confidence and they just have to act like someone that's confident not realizing that a lot of people that are confident might have gaps but they're able to look in the mirror and say i need to get better at this i can do this i can put myself through the ringer or the disappointment of doing x y and z um so that i I mean i really love that answer yeah i I mean mean, it's go ahead yeah, I was going to say that, that that's the big differentiator, right? Even more like for me, jumping from industry to industry. It's like I need to know, first of all, that I don't have all the answers. And then second of, you know what? I trust myself that I have the ability to succeed at this. I just have to stick with it and keep going at it and not being afraid of failure. Failure, And that's where all of those other things that I told you, I don't think it's one. 
uh, I call them my six C, uh, which is uh, you need clarity, you need commitment, you need courage, you need confidence, consistency, and continuous improvement. And if you have those, you're golden. That's, I mean, you guys got to write that down because that's very <laughs> important. Like every single one from the first season, from Clary all the way to competent. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to repeat Continuous it, improvement, said, but, yes. <laughs> yeah, but you got it. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, that you said confidence. That brings up, I mean, you have a newsletter, blog, cultivate confidence, and you talk about using the four Ps, purpose, mm-hmm. position, plan, and performance. Yes. I, I mean, I love that list. Can you break it down for our listeners a little bit? Yeah, of course. And you know what? That actually came because I come from the world of strategies. And in business strategy, when we look at organizations, we look at those four Ps of a strategy, and I adopted them to uh, mean something different from a personal level. But the way that organizations manage to be successful is focusing on those four things. So why shouldn't we replicate it in our own personal lives, right? And so for them, and in general, I say perspective comes to your belief system, right? And in an organization, it manifests their mission, their vision, their values. You as a person should have those as well. I always tell people, what is your mission statement? What are you going after? What is your purpose? I have a family mission statement that is my, in my house. When you walk in, that's the first thing that you see. And every time we're going to make a decision, we think about that mission. Is it getting us closer to it or is it getting us farther from it? And if it's farther, we don't do it. And so it's very important that you think about that. Now, I like to think of perspective a little bit farther from what an organization does. And it's also the perspective that you have of yourself and the people around you. And the perspective that we have of ourselves, it's based oftentimes in doubts and fears. And so it's very important that you work on what I call your inner critic, which is how are you speaking to yourself? What are those voices inside of your head kind of telling you, you know? And we are by nature, naturally tendency to be negative. And so you have to be very conscious of that and say, okay, what is this is valuable, what is not, and what is the perspective that I'm having of this specific situation, and can I turn it around? So that's number one. The second thing is positioning. So in the business world, an organization positions itself with competitive advantage. What am I very good at, and that's what I go to market with. We need to do the same thing. What am I very, very good at? And that's what I'm leading with, right? I'm not leading with my weaknesses or, you know, and you should try to minimize them. I'm leading with the strengths, right? For me, I am a phenomenal discerner. I am very good at strategy because I can poke holes on everything. That's what I lead with, right? Like I'm very good at sitting there and you can bring any topic to me and I might know nothing about the topic, but I'll figure it out a way to elevate the thinking in the room. And that's my superpower. Right. I mean, know, knowing your superpower is, yes. a, is one of is the first steps, right? And Absolutely. Not, and not discouraging that because you said, you said something about like that self-critic. I think that's something that even that I had to grow into because I remember just as a younger kid, whether it being a higher level recruit, going through the process, a lot of times, I mean, team sports in general, you're focused, like team first, team first. It's not about you. Don't read your press clippings. And, and sometimes the the byproduct of that is negative self-talk, yes. right? Negative self, like real bad criticism. And the next thing you know, when that, all those things that are lifting you up are pulled away, you're kind of left with like the shambles that be picked yes. up on your own. What can someone do to kind of help change that voice to like a positive self-critic yes. or actually like an accurate one yeah. as well? Cause what you don't want is someone that, oh, that you're telling yourself false 
falsehoods about yourself and yes. you're like going out there and you know following your face yes uh so i do think i have an exercise that i always recommend people to do and i actually have a little um guy that is free if you go online and look for it it's about building self-confidence and it has all of these things that we're talking about we'll but put the link in the bio awesome. we will put that link in the bio perfect yes. but the one thing i would say is i i've done this and i love it is i write a letter from my inner critic to myself so i'll tell you what mine sounded like when i did this you have an accent nobody understands you uh, they think that you're not smart enough because you didn't grow up in this country. What the heck are you doing in sports? You know nothing about sports. That's what the voice wanted to remind me of, right? All my fears. Once I write that letter and I wrote everything, like, right? All of those things, I didn't hold back. Nobody was going to read that. Then I read it myself and I read it as if this was a letter that somebody I loved wrote about themselves. If my mom, my daughter, my best friend would tell me all those things about them, how would I respond? And that is self-compassion. We have to have self-compassion for ourselves. And then I responded to that. I actually wrote a letter to my inner critic. And I said, so acceptance is critical, right? So I said, you know what? I do have an accent. That's not a lie. But I've worked really hard to minimize it. I think my English is, is pretty good and people understand me. And if they don't understand me, they can ask me again and I'll figure it out a different way to tell them. <laughs> right? right. Um, you, yes, you're right. I don't know sports yet, but I'm working really hard every day to get good at it. So let's keep going. And at that moment, it was this pressure just left, right? Of like, I accepted that you're there. We shouldn't deny it. That's the problem. We keep ignoring it. Don't ignore it. Welcome it and said, what do you have to tell me? What is your fear? Why are you here and how can we work together to move past it? That's to so, me the best thing. That's so insightful because I mean, the same way that you wrote a letter to yourself and you had the self-compassion. I remember when I, like probably my junior year in college, first year in the NFL, I did the same thing and I made it my screensaver, but it was almost for motivational purposes. Like they don't think you're good enough. There, this oh. many people kept over you. Da, da, da. So like every time I had a, I was doing something. If I was out drinking, I, I looked and I saw like the negative criticism. Like, yeah, what are you doing? Get home. Dude. It was like my <laughs> course correction to get me right. And I was, yeah. and at one point when I started to see like more people just at the professional level, I think is that's when you really start to see, I mean, you see elites operating in their elite space yeah. and you start seeing a different level of confidence. Yeah. You start seeing positive self-talk, yes. you, like, you, you know, like beating yourself up. is not always yeah. taken. So we used to have defensive meetings and guys were like, no, that's a great job. Or just, congratulating people that weren't involved in the play and just that circulation of confidence. I'm like, well, this might be counterproductive. Yes. You know what I mean? Me like writing these different things down. So that self-compassion and even that, that level of being your own self-critic just, I mean, that's, that's extremely important. So guys write that down. I mean, you just see it a lot of times when we're just going through the recruiting process, what the motivation is of that player. I mean, you see it probably in baseball guys coming from different areas, different countries and are coming here. And it's just like, all right, what's the motivation in doing this? Are, do you love this sport? Are you trying to bring your family out of poverty? Are you trying to live up to your dad's dreams? Are you like, what is it? Because all that fuel is taken in differently. And I mean, just having the right efficient fuel to kind of for the long haul is, is very important. So I love that you're saying that because figured it out a little because yeah. sometimes you can have it, you can put the wrong fuel and still get your car to where you need to go. Yes. But I do think it's, it's a, it's a short fuel. And so when you 
do that like for example what you did which is awesome i think i did that when i was young too i was like you know like oh i'm gonna go improve myself and do all these things and it can only hold you so far and there will be a point that then you start believing those things and if you're not seeing the results that you want to see then you say you see i was right i was not good enough and that's not good right you never want to do that because then you become like this self-fulfilling prophecy and so you have to take the the criticism that's there comes from some place of fear some of it is true it's just trying to make you believe that it's always true that's that's powerful because i mean i, I for the longest i thought it was the like the best fuel until so, because i was like all right this is counterbalancing all the great accolades or all the great things that are coming this is keeping me keeping me with a level of humility this is keeping me humble and then i realized like no it's no. not <laughs> like when i when that thing was taken away from me like all the you know that point one percent great you're like i'm swimming in the deep water yes. like yes. now i gotta figure out how to get back yeah so no I, I mean those are some pretty powerful points so listeners i hope you guys take notes there yeah so justin i do want to say that uh something that you mentioned that is very important when i said that you need to understand your perspective and your value system and your mission statement it has to be authentic to you, right? If you're trying to fulfill somebody else's dream, you're always going to be unhappy. And then you're always going to feel that you're coming short because it's not you. This is not like I did this for a long time. I became a pharmacist because I thought that's what my mom wanted me to be. And that wasn't me. And I did it very successfully. I was really good at it, but I was not actually happy. And you, you go through your life where you realize what is my scripting and what has been my parents. And the moment that you start making that separation to say, I honor and love that, but this is not my dream. This is yours. And now I can use that as a, as a way to help me. It's critical, right? Now, there are often times that maybe people would tell me, well, no, my goal is to make my parents feel very happy and engaged. Then that's awesome. And that's what you should lean in to be your fuel and your motivation. That's so true. I mean, once you identify that dream or adopt the dream of a parent or someone else or an external factor, what are, can you give any steps that someone can do to like kind of check, like, do I really love doing this? Or is it just the, cause like if you're good, if you're being, if you're a pharmacist and you're good at it and you're making money, you're moving up and doing those different things. I mean, you would feel validated in all those different areas to say like, Hey, this is why I like to do it. And so like, whatever you're telling yourself, it would continue to compound and get stronger and stronger. At what point as you're continuing to move up to say like, ah, I'm not really feeling this. Like I want to make a transition. I always say like, if at the first sign of adversity, your first thought is like, Oh, what the heck I should be out of here. It's probably not. <laughs> because I really like, um, I just was not, and I love pharmacy. I mean, it was good. I did the things that I needed to do. I did it because my love is actually to help people. Like I love to maximize people's potential, right? That's why I invest so much time thinking about confidence and courage and how we build people and their self-worth. That's my passion. And so one of the means I tried to do that was actually when I did pharmacy, I counseled. I did a lot of counseling to patients uh, on their medications and trying to effectuate change and drive people to better behaviors. Like, I love that. But then once I started moving up the ladder and doing a lot of these things in the healthcare world that was not directly impacting people, then I no longer loved it. 
that's that's a great point. I mean, you see a lot of times just in the different responsibilities moving up in the sports business world, whether it's like personnel or assistant coaches in football, basketball, whatever. It's like, you know, as an assistant coach, you get to recruit, you're with the players doing all these different things. And as you come up to become a head coach, you know, now you're dealing with the politics. You got to deal yes. with the administration. You got to yes. deal with the owner and different and it's less about coaching and more about being a CEO or yes. VIP of that situation. Yes. Oh, that's that's a great point. Yeah. So getting back to a little bit yes. to your background. Oh, Go ahead. and actually, I never finished. So third P is plan. I'm sorry, I say perspective, oh, position. Plan is the third one. Very self-explanatory, right? You have yeah. to have clear goals, clear actions, and then you have to make sure that you're doing those. Like oftentimes, people ends up nowhere, right? Because they just don't know where you're going, and it's impossible for you to have confidence if you don't even know what you stand for and what is it that you're trying to go and do. Right. And so I always tell people, where are you going? And if you know where you're going, then you have a plan and then your confidence will be built in by nature because you're very convicted. You're, you know, like this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm going there. Right. And then you'll be able to stand up when somebody tried to check you down. And then the third, the fourth thing, it's performance. Right. And this is very, very critical. And I think of performance in, in two ways. Right. Is how do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself so you're performing at your peak? Because if you're not performing at your peak in a sustainable way, it's only going to be this, you know, ups and downs, up and ups and downs. So I am all a fan of creating margin, taking care of yourself, self-love. And then at the same time, what are you doing in order to ensure that people are seeing the best version of you? So when we think of confidence, and I think you hit it at it a little bit earlier, what are you using your body for, your mind, right? Like, what are you thinking about? Who are you hanging out with? Is it people that makes you feel confident and empowered or some people that are bringing you down? You have to consider all those things, and they all have a part of whether you feel that sense of confidence in your abilities. And so that emotional resiliency, understanding your emotions, having control over them, as much as you can, right? And saying, I please, I identify it and I'm going to work on being on an emotional and physical state that would allow for me to perform at my best. That's critical because everyone talks about, like you said, planning and different things, but if it doesn't come down to the performance and execution of that, I mean... doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Seriously. Tell guys on the field, like, man, you can have all the plans and do what, but like, if you don't make the play... Don't make the play. <laughs> right? It's not knowing what to do, but rather doing what you know. Exactly. Just get it oh, done. That's get it done. I love that. Make play make a play. That's what we like to say. Yeah. Make a play. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you talked a little bit about your accent and different things in, in that realm. So where are you from and how did you get into the sports business? Yes, I am actually from Venezuela. Big, big uh, baseball country, actually, right? We have a, a lot of very good players. I actually think Venezuela is known for three things. Um, oil, baseball, and beauty pageants. We win a ton of beauty pageants. I don't know <laughs> why, but that's the thing. Something in the water. Yes, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, yes, I'm from Venezuela. I actually started, I've, I've always been a baseball fan. I grew up okay. playing baseball in a boys' Uh, team actually because women don't play baseball in Venezuela uh, they okay. play softball and uh, so and I could not care for softball at all I just didn't like it and I think it's because honestly I was just biased because all I knew of safe softball is when my dad went to play with his bodies and I was like yeah this is not like what I want to do and so I always play baseball um, 
from a very young age, I loved it. Actually, when I went into college, into pharmacy school, they considered letting me get into the team, and uh, they couldn't because they were in bathrooms or any sort of you know environment that would be conducive of oh, me wow. being in the team. So you played baseball. How old? How old were you until you stopped playing baseball? You played oh, all the way through high school? No, yeah, I stopped playing very young. I stopped playing okay. when I was like fifteen or sixteen. That's, yeah, that's. That's yeah. older. That's yeah. pretty old. Yeah. That's older for like playing baseball. I mean, I think girls here in the States, they probably start playing softball. I think 10, 11, right? Like when you make that transition out of playing with the boys. Yeah. So I'm not good. very good now, though. It's so sad. I was like, <laughs> I haven't played in like 30 years. And then we had a softball tournament. In all fairness, softball is very different, I think, because that ball is so heavy. We had a softball tournament. And I had like one hit and that was it. Like, it was so bad. Was it slow pitch or fast pitch? It's a slow pitch, too, okay. which is so weird. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Whatever. The point is I'm not very good. And then here in the United States, I actually got into sports because coincidence, right? Like, you always have to build your network. You know the people around you. I used to be the chief of staff for the president of Highmark right across the river. And uh, in that position, I got to meet a lot of people because I, I did a lot of work across. And then I found out that the Pirates, Travis specifically, was looking for a, somebody to run their strategy, their strategic planning process. And as you probably know, there is not a lot of teams that are thinking that way. We don't Absolutely. do a lot of, you know, thinking like that at long-term KPIs, like how do you drive a strategies? And so Travis wanted to bring somebody who came outside of the industry. So you can bring best practices and what are other people doing? And that's how I ended up here and got my chance. That's amazing. And that's innovative, especially like you say, because a lot of times in sports, it's an echo chamber, right? Where people want people that have had the same backgrounds, uh, different, like if you haven't done it here, then I don't want to understand. I don't want to do about the curve. That's interesting because that when I was at the XFL, you know, Vince McMahon, Oliver Luck and those guys and Doug Whaley, that was one of the main things was reimagining the game of football. And so in reimagining the game of football, you can't have a whole bunch of minds that just strictly came from football. So we had somebody from Pepsi. We had somebody from this industry, that industry, and like the, the gumbo that was kind of created with ideas and thoughts and perspectives. Like, yes. well, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, yes. Because we've always done it. Like, no, that's not, a, that's not an answer. Like, I, I mean, somebody, <laughs> like our DFO, her name was Remy. And it came from a different uh, industry and similar to you, like put, put, put holes through any type of strategy that we might have. She's like, well, why, are we doing that doesn't make sense and she oversaw all the dfos have been doing this for their whole career and i was able to see oh that's a that's a farce that for them to think that you don't have to have you have to have worked in this specific yes. niche market to be able to work here and it was like no there's it's transferable skills yes. and different things in that so do you remember like when you got to the states and your first job when you got here <laughs> actually i'll tell you this i um when I came to the United States, I came as an au pair. Oh, wow. uh, and I was already a pharmacist at home. So I had already graduated. I, have a, I had a doctor's degree in pharmacy and a specialization in industrial technology. And I came here as a nanny. And, a nanny? Mm -hmm, yes. And uh, wow. I am a big fan of means to an end. I always tell people, sometimes it's a means to an end. Focus on that. And you know that you're grinding right now, but what's at the end of that will be 10,000 times better. And that was my point of view perspective. It's the That's perspective. a great perspective. What year was that? If you don't mind me asking. 2007. It's when I got here. 
Yes. 2007, yes. and you're the yes. VP of People and Strategy. Yeah. Start off as a nanny. Yes, I That's... um yeah, I had to transfer my entire degree again here. It took me about five years. Um, I had to take a bunch of exams, do internships all over again to transfer my license to the states. Yeah. That's impressive. Yes. That's extremely impressive. Understanding my sports landscape here and how different things operate. And as a woman, like yeah. that's kudos. Like, Thank congratulations. You. I won't <laughs> even pass that. That's that's very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Means to an end. Just remember Means that. Means to an end. Yes. I guess you might that might answer my next question. Like, I was going to ask, is there anything from your upbringing that you keep with you in this dynamic industry that keeps you anchored? Um, that's from your upbringing in Venezuela or just those formative years in your life? Well, I do think, of course, means to an end just carries me, anchors me in life, right? Like I'm sometimes right, I'm, keeping that one. I'm like, yes, this is what you need to do. Uh, but I would say like for right now and just how interesting sports is, I think that the one thing that keeps me grounded is that it has to be all about people. And that was to me one of the things my dad always told me right like he was so empathetic he was so caring and it's easy not to care when you're just trying to win and you cannot win if you're not taking your people with you and you're honoring them through the process so I think in this industry where sometimes the pressure to deliver and to deliver results is so great right and it's very public you could uh, forget that, and you should never forget that, right? We have to always keep people top of mind and how we continue to make them better outside of what they do here for us, right? Is that legacy that we're doing beyond whether we win or lose on the field, that's irrelevant. It's the impact that we have on the people um, that comes through our path. Each one to each one. I always kind of go by that from the standpoint of it's like a two-way street, even if someone that knows a little bit more information like you can you can help the next person out. And if you don't have that information, like don't fight it. That you don't like and accept the information from someone that does know because sometimes I feel like that gets ciphered, whether it's like uh imposter syndrome or a level of lack of humility, ego, like those things can clash when that's trading. But I think that's a that's a powerful instance that you can use coming from um your home country because I mean even Pittsburgh coming from Pittsburgh being a football town still town like as I went through the different industries like there was a there's a calming thing that I had like all right this is like a blue collar situation don't get too big here do this here and it was like you know like that anchoring piece that I go through I mean I guess you could say each one teach one keeps you in a, a level of humility where it's like all right if I know something I don't or if someone knows something that I don't like I'm now all ears right like and I'm like trying to understand why I can continue to develop because there's gaps everywhere. And it's like, like you said, you don't have to fill in each one, but to continue to get better lifelong, like curiosity and yes. all those things as your plans come yes. together, it's much needed. Yes. I oh, do man. tell you in our culture, like um, Venezuelan culture in general, but we're very communal. So it's, you know, very much about family connection, genuine connections. We're straight shooters. Um, and it's funny because when I moved to this country, I, I didn't understand sarcasm. I'm, I still have the hardest time with it. I will be like Drax, you know, from the Guardians of the Galaxy that it just can. Uh, that's me. And so uh, in, in my country, we believe that people use a sarcasm when they don't have the guts to tell you something. And so it's very, it's viewed very negatively. And um, so that was like a big thing for me. And I think the one thing I've, I've anchored myself in that I don't want to lose is that I am a straight shooter and I am going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling and why I'm thinking it. And that has to 
keep me grounded and honest, right? I, I, can, I can fall into this trap of what's common around me because that's not my culture, right? Like we, we're just very, because we're so connected, we, you can have that honest and vulnerable conversation, right? Like, I don't like this. I don't have to, to use any passive aggressive or ways to do that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that would be a hard transition to get into Major League Baseball. I mean, <laughs> just level, level of sarcasm. I just remember playing baseball growing up and it was like, always sarcasm in baseball i mean some stuff i missed from just a cultural standpoint i'm from america so yeah, okay good that makes like, me feel better <laughs> <laughs> so that's just from like football culture basketball culture to the baseball culture it's like wait what that's a <laughs> what's joke? happening uh, like what's happening like we don't joke like that <laughs> the same oh oh wow <laughs> oh that's great that's great so we talked a little bit about your acting career or just your acting endeavors let's talk about that a little bit i i, I mean How'd you get into acting? Oh, well, um, I actually am very artistic. I used to play the oboe for the Venezuelan Symphony for um, a while before I moved here. Well, the Miranda Symphony is in my town. And um, I loved music. I loved the arts. I've just always been very, very drawn to that. And um, I started acting actually because I wanted to improve my executive presence. And when you act, you have to be very much in the moment, right? Like it's it's in order for you to respond, to be genuine, to um, be connected to the play and to the script and to the, the person, you have to be in the present moment. And so I started taking acting just to work on that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And then I fell in love with it. I actually think there is something fascinated about being able to put yourself in somebody else's mindset, shoes way of thinking I mean it's 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 an incredibly difficult thing to do and incredibly humbling at the same time which is for me at least the way no I it's extremely it. I mean I just taken it I took one acting class in college theater 101 um and I just remember how hard it was because our final project was like this scene from like this 1960s play and I I only thing I remember is like oh Lorna like that was like the, whoever the person's name was in the thing but I remember how hard it was when someone was judging you when you were acting and I was like oh man, I can't even watch movies anymore because it was like messing me up. Yes. But it's extremely, learning the lines, being in the moment, like cultivating or like showing those different emotions like someone else might portray. Like, portray. And and that's interesting because when we talk, we're going to get into just, you know, the strategy and the people operations with the pirates, but talent acquisition is the main thing that we talk about just here in general, just throughout the whole sports landscape. Acting and like the talent acquisition process in sports, how is it, how would you compare those two? Um, a little bit compare and contrast, like getting a role for a scene. Well, you know, you know what's funny because I think that um, acting in general, like oftentimes it's, it's so subjective, right? It's, it's like whatever the director is thinking he wants in his mind for a specific character and how he plays, right? So it's it's very much sort of like that. But I think even in the talent acquisition space, we need to be very clear of like, what is the character that we're looking for, right? Like what are all those attributes? And not like even like directors, right? Directors don't think just of your physical attributes. They'll think about like the type of, personality you bring to the play the type of like your own little add to it right and in acting you do the same you become that character but you still hold you right like if gotcha. you think about it there's still an essence of you that is there and so the only thing i can think of is not actually from the acting standpoint but but how 
they get casted, right? And how they're very clear about what are we looking for? Why do we need it? What is the timing that we need in that person's speech and the way they behave and the interaction between the two actors, right? Because have you ever experienced that when you see a great actor, but the, the person that, that's next to them is just bringing them down? Yes. Right? Or is it overacting or it's like, oh, why is this person in the scene? Yeah, 100%. Their performance, it just immediately brings everything down. And so you have to think so much about the chemistry between those actors, the environment that they're creating, because all of those get translated to outside of the screen. And so I think of the exact same way when we do talent acquisition. Like, what is the dynamic with the group that they're going to be in, right? What are they bringing to the table that perhaps we don't already have? Is it synergistic in nature? Is it intentionally not synergistic? Because we need somebody who thinks completely different to your point. We need a diversity of perspective. And that's absolutely critical. But you have to be very honest with all of those things and then assess them from every aspect. I think oftentimes we get so caught up on the technical skills we missed all those other components. I think from both sides, right? When you're looking for candidates and when candidates are coming up, they're like so focused on the skills and don't cultivate the things that you talked about earlier, whether it's that level of confidence, authentically knowing what character you're bringing to the table, those traits, because you're going to school. It's like, I got to get this GPA. I got to get this degree. I got to do this. I got to just get noticed from sometimes people on the talent acquisition side, not doing all of the work and the foresight for putting like the right chemistry and different people together, like a puzzle piece, like the Hans Zimmer. Of the Without that, and I'll tell you, I hire for potential because the skills I can teach you, but I Absolutely. cannot teach you to have right character. I cannot teach you to have consistency, to have confidence, to have courage. Those come from you. I can't teach you those. And if I do, it's going to take me a ton of time. Right. But but yeah. skills I can teach you, I can coach you, I can mentor you, I can put you in classes, I can get you certificates. Right. So build a good character and a good foundation, because that's the absolutely most critical thing. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a blue chip recruiting checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.